This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. If this is your first time watching or listening, my name is Nathan. I'm the lead minister here, and we are in part five of a six-part series that we have called Nobodies. And it's a really simple series where we're looking at nobodies of the Bible, people that we don't really know or don't really talk about, and just looking at their lives and how they tell a narrative about what God wants to do in us and through us. And we kind of got a catchphrase because we like those tweetable moments around here. And it says this, when the ordinary meets the extraordinary, you, you can say it this way. When the ordinary nobody meets the extraordinary God, extraordinary things happen. So we've been looking at this for five weeks, and we've been all over the place in the Bible. And, and today we're going to look at a nobody who has no name. Well, he has a name, but we don't know anything about him really. We, we know that he's defined by a condition. We know what region he's from. But we don't know much else about him. But before we get there, today we want to talk about something that is what I call a real issue. At, at, here at church, we, we, we want to be real. We, we know that you go through real life issues. We know that lo- real life happens. And we want to talk about things that are going to affect our everyday life. And we think that your faith grows most when we talk about real life issues and you can put your faith into action during real life. So that's how Jesus teaches and that's how we want to teach. So today's going to be one of those real life issues that I, I think we struggle with. Maybe more than we think. And what I would say starting off is it's probably something at first you don't correlate with faith. But it's so much more important than you think. And it's this little word, and it's this word, actually. It's gonna, we're going to have the definition of it. It's the word gratitude, right? Anybody sitting next to someone who is very thankful, right? Anybody, right? Somebody's knocking their neighbor back there, not thankful, but gratitude. So what is gratitude? Well, it, it's simple. It, it's the quality of being thankful. I like that. But I like this. The readiness to show appreciation for. I really like that definition. And, and it's to return kindness. So the quality of being thankful Readiness to show appreciation for and return kindness. Gratitude. Now, gratitude is something that I've struggled with. Anybody else ever struggle with gratitude, right? You just kind of struggle with it. It's like, uh, I want to be thankful, for, but I'm not. So I started doing something and around when COVID hit, which seems like forever now. But I knew it was really easy for me to be negative. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to go on this journey in my life where I started practicing gratitude. And since something was on my mind, it's like when you buy a new car, you see that new car all the time. I started looking for people who had gratitude. And I started looking on social media and TikTok. Like, you know, during COVID, we all kind of fell in love with TikTok and all that stuff. We were looking for that. And what I noticed was something, that people don't show gratitude very often. And I don't know how many of you are with me, but I started noticing that, matter of fact, we often show the exact opposite of gratitude. That if you look around, that most of us try to look for what is wrong instead of what is right. That through the last, you know, 16 months or so, what I've seen is that many of us do have a gift, and that gift is complaining. For some of you, your spiritual gift is complaining. We complain about the weather. We, we complain about the temperature inside of a building. We complain about money. We complain about masks and, and politics and, and who's president. We complain, complain, complain. And it's, it's amazing. We're, we're, most of us in this country are in the top 99% of the world, right? You don't feel like it, but you are. But it's amazing how blessed we can be, yet how ungrateful we often are. It's amazing that we're so blessed, but we're often ungrateful. 
So in this season of my life, I'm like, hey, I want to chase after gratitude. I, wanna, I don't want to just have an attitude of gratitude. I, I want to practice gratitude in my life. But I know there's something about me that maybe you struggle with is, is that I, I'm always convinced. I'm convinced that the next best thing in my life is around the corner. The next best thing, like it, it's that new car, it's that new job, it's the new race. So I get so caught up chasing the next I miss having gratitude in the now. I think some, maybe, some of you are like that. That you get so caught up chasing the next, you miss having gratitude in the now. You just miss it. And why is that? Well, the simple answer is, well, we're not, we're not good at it. Do you know that science tells us that being thankful and having gratitude actually does not come natural to you? Right? When you're a little baby, what, what happens? Like when your mom feeds you, 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 you don't cry. But what happens when she doesn't feed you? You cry, right? You, there's no sense of, of having gratitude or, or thanks. But here's what's really interesting. Science tells us that if you are gracious, if you, are, if you do have gratitude, you're more successful. You're happier. You're a better person to be around. You're, you're more enjoyable. Life is more enjoyable for you. There are so many benefits of, of being thankful and living a life of gratitude. Yet for so many of us, gratitude does not come easy. It's not natural. And then, then there's tension. So what's the tension? Well, the tension becomes this. That if you read through the books uh, of the Bible, especially a psalm or the Old Testament, you're, you're going to read verses like this that we're going to see from Chronicles where, where it says something. It says this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Show gratitude to God, for he is good, for he is st his steadfast love endures forever. You're going to see over and over again that we are told to, to be thankful, to have gratitude, to, to, to thank God for what he has given us and what he is doing in us and, and through our lives. So you can, be, you can be surrounded by all these blessings. And you can have all these prayers answered, and you can get healed, and you can have all the stuff that you think you need. But here's what happens. If we don't allow these blessings to draw us closer to God, what do you really gain? That's kind of the question today. If you don't allow your blessings to draw you closer to God, what do you really gain? You'll gain more money. Maybe you'll get healed. Maybe you'll enjoy life for a little bit. But you'll, you'll miss what these blessings often are. What God, you'll miss what God's trying to do through these blessings. And what is God trying to do through every blessing? Draw you closer to Him. So if you, if you don't allow these blessings, and we all bless, we're all blessed and we all have different blessings, but if you don't allow them to draw you closer to God, what do you really gain? And the answer is nothing. And what I have found, and maybe what you have found, is in your life, you don't need the next job or the next level of success or the next accomplishment or the next level of accumulation. What we need is the next level of appreciation for what God has given us. There's an author named Brene Brown and Brene Brown has all these degrees in counseling and psychology and sociology. I don't know. She's she just really smart. And she actually it goes around and she, she trains people on vulnerability. She trains in the, people in the military how to be good leaders. And, and she trains, lead, trains leaders across the nation, these famous people. And, and she writes these books about, hey, vulnerability is strength. She writes about being wholesome, about gratitude, about how to live life in the right way, in a healthy mental health state. 
but she wrote this book, and in this book, I can't remember what it's called, but in this section, she has this section all about gratitude. And she says through her research that when she's looking at people who are thankful and show gratitude in their life, that there was one common word that popped up over and over and over again. And it's a weird word. It was practice. Practice. She said, and this really blew my mind. In my mind, it's like, it was like, whoa, it's something I've never been told. How many of you have ever heard have an attitude of gratitude? Anybody ever hear, hear that? Right? So that's what we're taught over and over and over again. Brene, this person who's a lot smarter than me, she says, listen, that's the wrong mindset. Because a, 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 an attitude doesn't lead to transformation of behavior. She's like, if you really want to have gratitude in your life, you got to practice it. And she said a quote. She said, having just an attitude of gratitude, but not living it out is like having a faith with no works. It's not alive. So here, here's what I want to ask you in light of all this as we get going before we look at our nobody. How often do you practice gratitude? How often are you thankful? How, how often are you thankful to God? How often are you thankful in your relationships? And I want you to honestly be real and answer that question to yourself. And I bet you I, I know your answer. Not enough. You can put a little hyphen there. Not enough. Not even close. So if you're like me, and you don't, you struggle with being thankful, you struggle with having gratitude in your life, what I want to do today is I want to look at a, an encounter. I, I think it's an interesting encounter that Jesus has with 10 people. So there, there's going to be 10 nobodies, but there's one nobody we're really going to focus on. So let's check it out. If you have your Bibles, it's in Luke chapter 17. If you have the app, all, all the notes are in there as well. It says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So Luke is basically just saying geographically this is where Jesus was. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, so this is the one we're really going to focus on, the one nobody. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he, was, and he was a Samaritan. So we know that our nobody is a Samaritan, and he has leprosy. Jesus asked him, were not all ten of you cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one, no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. So here's what's going on. Jesus is walking in his ministry and he's going, from he's going from one region to another region and he walks into this village. And as he's walking into this village, there's 10 lepers out there. Not leopards like the animal, 10 men with leprosy, right? So some people get confused there, but it's 10 men with leprosy. So, so they're outside of the village and here's the deal. If you had leprosy at this time, you could not go into town. Now, in our day, in, in our world, leprosy doesn't really affect us, right? You'll probably never meet anybody with leprosy. But in the, the biblical times, leprosy was basically a death sentence. They thought it was highly contagious. They thought it was, if you had leprosy, you were cursed by God. So here's what they would make you do. You could not live in the city with other people. And all the cities had walls, right? Major cities had walls. So they make these, these people with leprosy, lepers, they would have to live outside of the city wall. 
They'd have to live outside the city wall in little leper colonies. So anybody else who was sick or, or not healthy would live out there with them. And if you walked through town, and if you're going through town, you would have to ring a bell so everybody knew that you had leprosy and no one touched you. It was like being in a prison without any walls. You weren't welcome in the temple. You weren't welcome in homes. You weren't welcome in public places to eat. You were an outcast of an outcast of an outcast. You were a nobody. So Jesus is walking into town, and he has this reputation that the lepers know this, and they know he's been healing people. And as Jesus is walking into town, the lepers are on the outside, and they, they yell something. They yell, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus, help us in our condition, right? Because they can't go up to him, but they knew that Jesus could do something for them. They knew that maybe he could heal them. They knew that if anything was ever going to change in their life, it was because Jesus was going to do that. And they said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now typically in the Gospels, here's what would happen. Jesus would walk up to them, he would touch them, and he would do whatever, he would say something, do something, and they would be healed. That's not what happens. Jesus yells back at them, says, hey, go show yourself to the priest. Doesn't touch him, doesn't interact with him. He just yells back, hey, you're yelling at me. I'm yelling back at you. Go show yourself to the priest. And he went on his way. And it almost seems like Jesus is ignoring him. But these men knew something that we didn't know. They knew something called the Levitical Old Testament law. What does that mean? Well, they knew that if they were unclean and had leprosy, they had to live outside the city. But they also knew the other part of the law, which was this. That if you got healed... If you, if you got healed for whatever reason, you, you got well from your sickness, you had an opportunity to change your destiny. Here's what you would do. You would go to a priest. And that priest would look at you. I don't know if you would have clothes on or not. I don't know how it went down. It would be like a physical. And they would look at you. And they would you know, maybe touch you and, and smell you and all this kind of stuff. And basically they're trying to figure out, are you healthy or not? So they would look at you, and they're like, yeah, you might be a little overweight, but you're healthy nonetheless, or no, you don't have leprosy anymore. And then they would give them a clear bill of health, and then they could go back into society. Right? So what Jesus says to these ten lepers, go see the priest. He's insinuating, as you go, as you walk, something's going to happen to you. And I, and I just imagine that this priest, like I'm trying to put myself in their, their situation. Ten men who used to have leprosy walk through the door, and they're all healed. And they're like, hey, how did you get healed? They're like, hey, listen, some guy named Jesus yelled at us. We yelled back. He sent us to you, and now we're healed. All right, so they have to walk in faith to the priest. And kind of how I like to say it is they responded to the promise and the prompting of Jesus before they knew the outcome. And that's what it means to walk by faith, right? They responded to the promise and the prompting of Jesus before they knew the outcome. They're like, what, what do we got to risk? Like, what do we got to lose? Jesus obviously has healed other people. We know that he can heal us. He didn't touch us or talk to us really. But he says go to the priest. So if he said go to the priest, what do we have to lose? So they went on their way. And this is what Luke says happened. As they're on their way, and we don't know if they're walking six days, six hours, one hour. We don't know how far this priest is, but we, we assume that it's not in the same town, in the same village Jesus is in, because they, they're on their way, and as they went, they were cleansed. 
So what happens is at some point in the middle of this journey that they're taking, that they start to look around and they start to look at their skin and maybe their hands and their feet and they start to realize, hey, listen, we're clean. Like, we're getting healed. So they start running, 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 running to the priest. They run to the priest. The priest says, hey, yeah, yeah you're healed. And then this is where our story intersects with gratitude or ingratitude. Luke in verse 15 writes an interesting phrase. A phrase that really changes the entire story. And that phrase was this. One of them. One of them came back. There were ten of them. Ten were healed. Ten were cleansed. Ten went to the priest. Ten yelled out for Jesus. And one of them showed up. One of them came back. As a matter of fact, Luke says, well, this is actually what happened. He goes on in his verse and he says, one came back. What did they do? Praising God in a loud voice, thanking God. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Oh yeah, by the way, he was a Samaritan. What does that mean? Well, Luke is trying to make a big point, a big, big point here. He said, listen, one out of ten is not good. One out of ten is not good. One man who had leprosy came back to Jesus. It just happened to be that that one man was a Samaritan. Samaritans at the time were hated by Jews. They pro people reading this letter, when Luke, this gospel, when Luke wrote it for the first time, probably would not have liked Samaritans. And he's like, listen, one person got it right. One person got it right. One person came back and thanked God. And that one person was a Samaritan. And what he's saying here is, it was this nobody who expressed the most gratitude. This nobody. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. But Luke says, if you're going to remember anybody in this story, remember this one Samaritan. And then I imagine Jesus, you know, has this encounter. It's like Jesus walks right up to this man. No more quarantine. No more having to live on the outside of the city. And he runs up to Jesus and he starts praising Jesus. And he, you know, going through all this saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then Jesus asks a question. And I imagine he did it with a little grin on his face. He goes, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are your buddies at? Where's the other nine? He's like, I thought there was 10 of you. As you were walking, did not all 10 of you get healed? As you were making your way to the priest, did not all 10 of you show up? Did my miracle not work on all of you? He's like, my well, man, where's the 10 other lepers? Where's the 9 other lepers? Where are they at? And the answer is, well, you know this. They're nowhere to be found. And you can feel the tension, right? Because if you're a parent and you, have, you go to some, someone's house for Christmas and they give your, your child a gift, and, and what, what do you expect your child to say right away? Thank you. And, and if they don't say thank you, what? There's that little bit of tension until they say thank you and you make them say thank you. And you can feel the tension here. When something happens like this, or something like, like this happens to you, you go back to the source who blessed you and you say thanks. And Jesus is saying, listen, 10 of you were healed. One of you showed up. One of you showed up. And then he goes on, and he's like, it doesn't end here, and this is what happens. He says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus' point is, listen, 
you came back and I made you well and your faith has made you well and your life is going to be forever changed because you realized who I was. Now these other nine, they're healed, but they missed it. They missed who I, who I was. I gave you this blessing because I wanted to draw you closer to me. 10% of you got it right, one of you. But the rest of them missed it. And I just wonder, as we read this story, how often are we like the nine? God's like, I'm doing this in your life. I'm giving this to you. I'm, I'm giving you that, I'm answering that prayer. I wanted, you, I want, I wanted to draw, use it to draw you closer to me. But you just go on your, your way. Now, here's what's really interesting. As you read this, you, you start to think, well, how ungrateful are they, man? Like, I was reading it all week. Like, how ungrateful were these other nine? Like, what, what a bunch of chumps. Like, who, who does that? Who doesn't say thanks? You, you learn to give thanks when you're a young kid, right? Who doesn't do this? Who doesn't give thanks? And then I started to realize, and I was doing some research on it, and it's like, listen, they would have probably been thankful if you were to went and interviewed them after this encounter and say, hey, are you thankful for this? They're like, oh yeah, man, we owe everything to Jesus. We owe everything to Jesus. We are so thankful that he changed our lives, our lives and we can go back to, back to our house, back to our jobs, back to our normal lives. They would have been so thankful. But here's the issue. They felt it, but they didn't express it. They felt it, but they didn't express it. And you, you know in your relationship that there's, there's some tension. If I feel grateful for my wife or my friends and I don't express it, there's going to be some tension where, where they feel unappreciated. They felt it. They didn't express it. And, and here, here's where I think many of us are. We, we feel thankful for the life God's given us. Somewhat. But we just don't express it. So the, 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 the biggest difference between the one and the nine was gratitude. One came back singing praise, giving praise to God. The other said, hey, said, great, thanks, Jesus, and sought nothing more from Jesus. They said, hey, thanks for doing that, Jesus, right? Awesome. And they sought nothing more from Jesus. They never returned. They never gave thanks. The only thing different about the one was Gratitude. So here, here's what, why Luke tells the story. He's like, listen, I want you to hear this because this encounter is totally random. doesn't fit in the grand scheme of anything. It doesn't really fit in the gospel. Why is it here? Why do we need it? And the point is simple. Don't be the nine. Be the one. So what I want to do is I, I want to give us a couple phrases to live by that I, that I help, that I think help us live with the practicing gratitude. There, there are three phrases, and, and these phrases are simple, but they're so important. The first one is if you have gratitude, if you're thankful, express your gratitude. Verses 15 and 16 is exactly what this guy does. He came back, you know, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself to Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. He expressed it. But, but I wonder how often does God bless us? We just continue to go on with our life like nothing happens. We get that kid we prayed for. We get that grandkid we prayed for. We get that job. We get that raise. We get healed. We have water in our house. We have a good life. And God gives you all these blessings. 
And you're thankful deep down, but you don't express it with your life. And if we want to practice gratitude, as Brene Brown says, and what Luke is trying to get us to do, is you got to express your gratitude for all your blessings. I love what Psalm 107 says. And there's an interesting little word in here, little phrase. He says, let the redeemed, basically let those who God has blessed, let, let those who God has saved, like those who God has rescued from their old life, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What he's saying here is, when, when you feel thankful for your spouse, say so. When you feel thankful for your life, say so. When you feel thankful to God, say so. Say so, say so, say so. Let it be known that you are thankful. And you know, you know what the best way to express your gratitude to God is? Worship. Worship. We didn't, do it, we didn't do it here today, but every Sunday when we have church, that's the best way to do it. We have worship. So that's why I've never understood this, and I, and I can never get behind this, and you can't tell me it's a generational thing, but here's what I never get behind. I never understand. If worship is one of the best ways to, to, to express our thankfulness, I don't get how if you really follow God, you really follow Jesus, we can walk into church on Sunday, stand there with arms crossed, with no emotion on our face, because we're singing to the King of kings who has blessed us more than we can ever imagine. There's no better time in our life, no better time in our life to express gratitude than worship. No better time. Now here's what people say. They, they say this, well Nathan, well, you know, we, we don't sing the type of songs I like. We don't sing any songs I know. I don't like the way this stuff looks. I don't like this and that and that. I don't like, the building's too warm. I don't like being back here. I don't like being up there, right? I can't give worship to God. And listen, here, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be mean. But worship isn't about you. Never has been, never will be. Worship's not about me and my wants and my comforts. Worship is about praising God. It's about praising God who blesses us more than we deserve. So when we worship, what are we doing? We're expressing to God, God, we are so thankful for what you give us and we're going to praise you because you have blessed us more than we deserve, more than we know. Express your blessings. So that's what worship is about, and that's, that's kind of what we mean. And so here's what I'm saying is we got to give thanks to God. God, thank you for the job I have. God, uh, hey, I know I don't have as much money as so-and-so, but thank you that I have running water in my house. Thank you I can come to a church that, that can afford air conditioning and heating. Thank you that I can come to a church where, where I don't have to be like Thomas Kim and, and kneel on my knees on concrete for two hours. God, thank you for being able to go to live in a town where, you know, we have school. God, thank you for being able to, us going, be able to go to church without being persecuted. God, thank you for my family. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for, for my job. God, thank you for showing me grace this week, even though I didn't deserve it. God, thank you for, you know, sending your son Jesus to me, even though I didn't deserve him. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the... So all, I'm at, all we're saying is, whatever your for the is, for the life I have, for the money I have, whatever your for the is, express gratitude to God for it. Say, God, thank you. The second statement I, I want to live by and want, want us to practice when it comes to gratitude is this statement. I'm going to let what I have lead me to gratitude instead of letting what I don't have rob me of gratitude. I'm going to let what I have lead me Instead of letting what I don't have rob me. So I, I have a bad habit. And I know it drives Whitney nuts. 
And I was just talking this weekend about it with a, with a friend. And, and basically, I realized I had this bad habit. Whitney and I, we're going to have a baby. So we went and got a new car. We thought we needed a new car. And we've never had a brand new car before, but we finally decided to get a brand new car. And this car I wanted, I picked it out. I like it. Whitney thinks it's her car all the time, but it's actually my car. But she drives it to work. You know how that goes, right? But, but I wanted this car, and I was really excited about it. And we bought the car, right? Brand new first car ever. And it was really cool. Not very many people have the car. And then I started seeing some other models of it. Like I see a yellow one. I was like, ooh, I like that yellow. Or a black one with tinted windows and better rims. I'm like, yeah, I like that. They had different packages of it. So uh, here's what started happening. All the, the car that I was really excited about, what I had, started not to be so excited about it. I, I started letting the other cars that I don't have rob me from the gratitude I have for, what I, for the other car. And I was telling the friend, I was like, listen, like, I don't know why I do this. He's like, I know you do this. But he's like, listen, that's a human problem. So I, I would say all of us in here say, well, I want a new house, a new car. I want this, that, or that, or that, or this. You know, I want this life. I want, I want to lose this weight. I'll be happy when I get this. I'll be happy when life looks this way. I'll be happy when my kids grow up. I'll be happy when I get this job. And we always have this idea. But what happens is we let what we don't have rob us from being grateful for what we do have. And what... What we just got to do is we got to shift that perspective. Craig Crochelle, a minister I listen to, he says this, whenever we adopt gratitude, gratitude turns whatever we have into enough. Whenever we adopt gratitude, gratitude turns in whatever we have into enough. And what that means is, listen, you're going to have things that other people don't. Other people are going to have things that you don't. Sometimes people are going to have a bigger house and better cars. Sometimes they're going to have the life that you wish you had. But adopt gratitude. Because when, you, when you're thankful for what you have, whatever you have turns into enough. James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, he, he says this about, you know, blessings. He says, every good and perfect gift is from God above. He says, listen, all the good things you have in your life they come from God. And God has a plan and a purpose for you, and you matter to Him. So don't let what you don't have rob you from the blessings that God has already given you. And then the third practice, a phrase we're going to live by, and this is the hard one. It doesn't, it doesn't show up in our story, but I'm going to practice gratitude in all seasons of my life. It's really easy to give thanks to God when you get that raise. It's really easy to give thanks to God when you're healthy. It's really easy to give thanks to God when life is going your way. But it's a lot harder to give thanks to God when you're praying for something for years and it doesn't happen. It's a lot harder to give thanks to God for the family that I just did a funeral for of a, a stillborn baby. It's hard to give praise to God in those moments. It's hard to give praise to God when things aren't going well. But we want to be able to give praise to God when things are good because that's important. But we want to be on this other end too and be able to praise God when things don't go our way. There's a man named Paul and he wrote a bunch of letters and he was a missionary of the early church and he's the reason we have, you know, one of the main reasons that we, you know, Christianity spread in the world during the time. And he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was, he was ultimately killed for his faith and he had many up and down moments of his life. In one of his letters, it looks like a weird name, but it's called First Thessalonians, and it says, he says this. 
give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And my desire for you, my desire that I want in my life is, I, I don't want us to just be this church where we come in here and we praise God and we sing worship to God when things are going our way or look the way we want or God's answering the prayers and he's doing this. I want to be a church that says, God, we're going to give you thanks in all circumstances. Sometimes that's hard. Maybe the hardest thing that you have to do in the moment of tragedy, in the moment of heartbreak, in the moment when life isn't going well, and sometimes that's a long season, is still praise God. Because sometimes in those moments, God seems far away. Sometimes in those moments, God seems distant. Sometimes in those moments, it's like, God, are you going to ever answer my prayer? And they're tough. And they're what I call the even though moments. And you and I, we have to learn to give thanks in our even though moments. Even though I'm sick. Even though my loved one didn't make it. Even though I didn't get that race. Even though my health isn't the way I want it to be. Even though, God, life isn't going the way I planned. Even though, even though, but I'll still praise you. There's a psalm called Psalm 23. It's probably the most well-known psalm. I've probably done 50 funerals in my life, and every funeral I've ever done, I've read this psalm. And like I said, I had a funeral this week, just yesterday, for a couple who lost a baby, an infant at birth. And I'm like, I'm praying, and I'm thinking, like, what am I going to say to them? Like, I know, I know in this moment my words right now in this day aren't going to be heard, but I want to give them something that maybe in the time of their pain, maybe in the time of heartbreak, that they can come back to at a later point and, and use for hope. And I started looking at Psalm 23 because Psalm 23 was written by a man named David. David had lost a kid himself. Psalm 23 was written at a low point in David's life, one of the lowest points in his life. And it says, you are my shepherd and all this stuff. But verse 4, it was interesting. As I was writing the sermon, doing, doing the funeral, I read verse 4. And I started to talk about even though moments. What's he say? Even though. God, even though life is not going the way I want. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Our circumstances, your circumstances, your seasons of pain, your heartbreak, aren't bigger than God. You can give praise to God and have gratitude for God in all seasons of your life. Because his rod and his staff will comfort you. And there's something that no other religion has that Christianity does. We have a God who wants a relationship. We have a God who relates to us. And he knows our pain. And the way he knows our pain is because he created the world. Sin came in the world. So he sends his, eventually he sends his only son into the world that he loved and he created. And he created the world just because of love. And he watched as that world and the people he created sent his son to the cross and kill his son. So he knows our pain. And he knows our heartache. But because of Jesus dying for us, we're promised 
that God's rod and staff it will comfort us in the pain, in the middle of our middle of our struggles, in the middle of our pain. But Jesus also proves a, a bigger point to us that's so hard to wrap our heads around. But I ultimately think it is the reality and the hope we have that you can have nothing in your life, nothing else in this life, nothing can ever go according to plan. But through Jesus, you are blessed more than you can ever imagine. The reason we show gratitude and have gratitude towards God has nothing to do about the earthly blessings we get. Those blessings are given to us to draw us closer to Him. But the ultimate reason we can have gratitude and thankfulness towards God in all circumstances because we know we have a hope of eternity with Jesus. So the question we have to ask ourselves when we look at Luke is you're going to be the one or are you going to be the nine? One of the nine. So tonight, tonight or in the week to come, here's my suggestion. Be the one. Before you go to bed at night, God, thank you for this life. Thank you for my family. Thank you that we got out of church by 7.20 on Thursday night. God, thank you for that. But most of all, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And God, help me practice a life of gratitude. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are and what you give us. God, we're, we're thankful that, that we can give you thanks and praise. Father, because of what Jesus did for us. So, Father, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for these people. I'm thankful for this town, this community. Thankful that I get to come up here and preach. God, you are so amazing. And I, I thank you for all the blessings you're going to give to us, have given to us, and that you will do through the people here tonight and listening, Father. And I pray that these blessings draw them closer to you. And they remember why they have given these blessings. And the blessings are to draw us closer to you, God. And let us never lose focus of praising you and expressing it and let it, not letting what we don't have rob us from what we do have and to praise you in all circumstances. In your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.